So welcome to episode four of The Men Who Save Football, the Dundalk FC fancast. We have a slight change to the show today. We're going to have a longer format review of the uh, season so far. I'm joined by former Dundalk sport regulars Martin, Mur- Martin Mullen and uh, Rory Murphy. Uh, lads, any opening views on how we're doing so far in the season? Um, I would say I'm pretty impressed with the start so far, uh, ignoring the Shamrock Rovers result, which we'll talk about now in a moment. Um it, we generally haven't started very well in recent years. Even though we go on to boss the league, we start quite slowly. So in comparison with previous years, I'm pretty happy with the start. I think 12 points out of 15 so far, a pretty pretty good haul. Uh, as Rory said, compared to the last couple of years where we've really struggled to get going, um, I wondered if we were in for more of the same. But I suppose the result against Rovers aside, pleasantly surprised yeah. so far. We, we, we have more points on the board and more goals scored, so there's lots of reasons to be optimistic. I suppose the big question, though, is that that Rovers result, it turned into something of an epic game, um, very dramatic. Um, it, it kind of swung backwards and forwards and could have gone either way. But um, that Rovers did carry the day. They look to be, in fairness, a, a really impressive competitor. They look like they're going to push Dundalk all the way. Should Dundalk FC fans they, have their reason to be concerned about just how good Rovers have started the season? I have to say, credit where credit is due. And it's very rare I will say complimentary things about Shamrock Rovers. But I think they are now finally what they were supposed to be over the last few years. Um, so credit to them. They are definitely going to run us close this season. And it was a cracking game. Uh, biggest cliche going, but it was a great advertisement for the league. Mm. And the fact it was on television. I mean, I had people all week along afterwards who aren't League of Ireland heads come up to me and talk to me about the game. Now, for one incident in particular, I think it, it made headlines. But that aside, it was it was a cracking game of football. Great advertising for the league. And Shamrock Rovers do indeed look like uh, they possibly will give us a bit of a game this year. Yeah, I, I think Rovers have recruited very well over the past couple of years. Um, if you looked at their team maybe two seasons ago, you would have said that they had problems at goalkeeper, uh, maybe at right back, maybe up front. And in the meantime, they've recruited, you know, Alan Menace. Uh, they've got in um, uh, Rhys Marshall at right back. Uh, they've done some recruitment up front, uh, maybe not quite as successfully uh, as where they've they've helped elsewhere. And then they've got... A bit of a star, I suppose, in, in Jack Byrne. Yes, picked the, up at the same time. The talisman, Jack Byrne, uh, finally delivered for Shamrock Rovers against Dundalk FC and then got to meet royalty thereafter. <laughs> and I don't know who should have been more impressed with who. Uh, given, uh, given Sir Jack Byrne. Yes. Given, OBE. Oh, well, let, give him time. It may, it may well happen. But in fairness, uh, yeah, they do have a genuine star there. He, he does seem to be a talismanic figure. But... The Rover squad has incrementally improved season on season, and so the players who are perhaps still below the radar, like Gary O'Neill and and um, Graham Burke, who weren't even available on uh, on on our, our meeting with them, uh, you know, they, they are a quality side now, and uh, I suppose it it makes it. It, it, an illustration of, of where they are now is how you know often fans call for a manager's head uh, all too hastily and what is it 18 months since we the saw banners uh, unfurled uh, the other side of the stadium as us there saying thanks for everything but enough is enough it's not working yeah well it's it's certainly <coughs> working now um, and and we have to say in, in, in the rivalry with Cork that we've had over recent years, there was always that contrast of style where we, we were considered, I don't think it's just our own opinion, that we were more the footballing side and Cork were the kind of rough and tough physical side. 
Um, but Rovers are also a footballing side too, and um, some would say that they edged it. Of course, Dundalk were missing players as well. So when we integrate our new signings and we have um, players like Patrick McElhenney back, um, we'll know we'll know at the end of April once again when we meet Rovers again. Uh, do you think we'll be in a stronger position to take them on and maybe carry the day when we're at home and with more players? I available? think so because one of the things you have to also kind of uh, point out, as you said, is we are integrating new players. That takes time. So this Dundalk team is not like previous years. The team that everyone on the pitch knows each other. So it's you know we have to, we have to integrate them uh, into the team. So we could well be stronger. And I think more up for it. Um, I was expecting a draw because it seems to be always a draw in Tala in in uh, February March. But um, they edged us. You know I I don't think I would, I'm not going to sit here and say you know uh, we deserve the winner. I think but. Um, it was nice to see, though, that superstar Jack Byrne got eclipsed by the blinding light of the greatest goal ever scored. Now, uh, on that point, uh, we, we just you did refer to a magic moment from that game, and uh, let's just hear that magic moment now. Duffy. Oh, what a goal! What a goal that is! That's incredible strike, absolutely wonderful strike at the back post. What a finish, what a corner kick. Okay, so we know as Dundalk aficionados that Oriel Park has been the arena for spectacular world-class athleticism and, and amazing goals <clears throat> for years. But now the rest of the world knows it too. We've got over 5 million hits for that Jordan Flores goal. I watched it this morning again. It seems to get better and better every time you watch it. Lads, what did you make of it? Uh, I thought it was... It was incredible, almost that it was right after Rovers had scored. And I think the, the atmosphere on the Dunsalk side of the stand was a little bit, you know, kind of shell-shocked. We were still reeling a little bit uh, when we won that corner. And I think nobody was really prepared for, for what was going to happen. I think I had just enough time maybe to turn to Rory and said, he's going to hit this uh, before it flew into the back of the net. And to say that the, the stand just lifted off was, you know, an understatement. Uh, it was incredible. Genuinely up there with one of the greatest goals I've ever seen in, you know, in the flesh, it was it, one of those magic moments. Again, I had people coming up to me in the streets who know I'm a Dundalk fan in Dublin. Uh, a friend of mine from college just passed through me in Temple Bar, and he goes, oh, "Oh my God, that goal!" And it was almost congratulating me, like I had any part in it. You know, maybe my cheering from the stands uh, helped. But you know, it's CNN. Um, some may say that maybe Kate Middleton should have been introduced to Jordan Flores, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, not. To, well, who knows, we might end up with Jordan Flores OBE on account of that strike someday. But uh, definitely, I, I, like, I remember spectacular goals, um, I, but it's got to be, as regards a strike, Like we, we can look back on some amazing moves and, and, and intricate passing or an individual you know, dribbling through an entire defence. 
But uh, as regards just a strike on goal, I think it's got to be the best that we've ever seen in the league. And when it arrived just after um, Rovers uh, Rovers opener, uh, within two minutes, it did it did stun. It literally stunned uh, all that saw it, ourselves and and of course the the, the opposing fans. Sean Gannon looked like he had lost his mind. Yeah. It was great footage of him, like yeah. a, a man genuinely baffled yeah. at what he's just witnessed. Well, I mean that angle was good for another uh, thing in that you actually saw the work that Flores did to kind of peel away to the back post uh, yeah. to actually make himself the space that I didn't really appreciate at the time. Yeah, yeah. From every angle, it, it just seems to get better and better. Of course, unless you go into some Twitter threads, which will tell you that the goal was in fact either you know an optical illusion or <laughs> due to the due to the editing and RTE looked better than it actually of was. Of course. Or, I mean, or, maybe Jack Byrne himself actually scored it, if well, you believe some people. Well, I think no. this would be the first time ever that you know RTE coverage had made a goal look better in the league <laughs> than uh, it actually did in the flesh. Apart from on Twitter where unfortunately we had a, a jitter in the in the initial uh, viral goal that, that got up to five minute hit or five million hits, but uh, I suppose we can't have everything. And all so it's a good uh, it's a good message to get there in the flesh. It's always better to see these things firsthand. Um, now, basically, uh, we we've talked a lot about that particular game. Came out on the wrong side of the result, but nonetheless, quite a special occasion. If we if we look at the other fixtures that we've played so far, beginning with the rather you know edgy encounter with Derry that you know it looked like a game that could end up in a draw, but we managed to eke out a result. And I suppose that the, turning those potential draws into wins is going to be vital because it looks like ourselves and Shamrock Rovers are not going to drop too many points elsewhere. At least one would hope. Um, so in that context, what did you think of the other results so far? If we start with the Derry one, well, I think the Derry game is a, a great example of in previous years that's a draw all day long jittery opening game against a, a tough side um, and the amount of times you've gone up there and the opening night is so flat and you, you come away with a point to come away with three points um, shows that there's something different going on here as Martin said 12 points from a possible 15 um, but I think the Derry game is an example of how we hit the ground running and the big thing is when you can get wins uh, when you're not particularly playing well, a bit rusty, um, I think we're going to have to because, as we said, Shamrock Rovers are definitely going to be a force uh, this season. So, um, wasn't an incredible game of football. Um, usual moaning, <laughs> reverberating around the stand. Uh, but three points is three points. So, I'd be surprised to hear in in advance of the game how cognizant some of the the players and staff were of their bad start to the season a couple of years running, and so. I'd imagine it definitely played on the minds of the players as well. And one thing that I think was notable about that match was once we got in the lead, we started to retreat and leave a lot of space for Derry to, to have the ball. And they fired a few balls into the box that caused a lot of problems in the, the last few minutes. I remember uh, Gary Rogers made at least one incredible save that uh, game. I, I think one of the Derry players even managed to head the ball off the line when it looked like it yes. was easier to score. So something of a nervous start, but if we look back to our opener from last season where we had a missed penalty, a draw, and two serious injuries. I suppose this year was a much stronger start. We we proceeded then on in our second game to uh, to um, a an old venue, but once again one that we were kind of glad to be back in and facing an old foe. But Shelburne returns to the Premier Division. That game was probably closer than a lot of people expected it to be. What did you make of our gig, trip to Shelburne? Strong wind. For one thing, like I think the, the conditions played a big part in it. And in the first half, Dundalk had the, the advantage uh, of that, that win behind them. Uh, and it definitely put Shells under a bit of pressure to, to try and clear the lines and that kind of thing. But 
you know, at halftime, there was a big turning point, obviously, where uh, we changed sides. And you could see the difficulty that Dundalk then had in the second half of uh, just trying to get out. And there was a lot of attempted balls, I think, down to, to Huben and Duffy, where they really struggled to control it. And, you know, Rogers may have struggled to kind of get the, the, the distance on these kind of things. It was... Um, a bit of a backs-to-the-wall effort then for, for some of the second half. Yeah, really in climate conditions. Do you think that made us play a little bit more directly than we normally would? Possibly. I think you can't discount the conditions, but I think it was a much tougher game than any of us expected. I think sometimes when you play a promoted side, you kind of rub your hands, you know, um, but they were really up for us. Um, so I, it was much tougher. But again, an away game uh, against a side that's up for us in bad conditions... That would be a draw in previous years. Mm. The fact that it wasn't, again, stands to something very positive, which I think fans need to kind of be a bit more aware of. We had uh, Andy Boyle getting the opening goal from a set piece and uh, Patrick Hoban then adding to it early in the second half with an almost identical goal once again, a deep cross in, swirling wind, and he just happened to beat everybody else to it. At that point, we, we might have looked comfortable, but uh, uh, Shelburne did strike back with something of a, a, a wonder strike from Gary Deegan from the edge of the box and then thereafter they really put us under quite a bit of pressure we had we had uh, Dundalk old boy um, killed off leading the line up front and of course Carl Shepard who we can technically count as a Dundalk old boy having <laughs> signed a pre-contract Almost. and then had second thoughts um, they, they did cause us quite a few chances that we did live on the edge in, in, in the closing 20 minutes of that we had a few one-on-ones and, you know, nervous moments. So uh, perhaps, how would you evaluate that shell side? I mean, do you, do you think they're going to be comfortably mid-table or will, will they end up in the relegation zone or somewhere else? No idea, to be honest. I think it's too early to say, but they, I, on that game alone, I would have said they, they should be safe not to go down, but you never know. I mean, they lost last night to mm. Bose, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, who knows? But uh, they, they certainly look much stronger than I expected them to be. Uh, I mean, they'll be working off a much smaller budget, those kind of things, but they, they look really up for it. Okay. Well, I think that there was some talk during the week as well that Shells have recruited quite a lot of experience that you mentioned already, Karen Kilduff and uh, Carl Shepard, Gary Deegan as well, that for a promoted side, they haven't you know come up the same way that perhaps UCD last year, where they kind of you know had a lot of the, the talent that had and brought stripped. them up in the, the first division. Um, they've got quite a lot of experience in that side and you might see less of a kind of you know back and forth kind of whirlwind season for them and a bit more consistency they probably won't be kicked around like some other promoted sides do that yeah another encouraging thing about that event was there seemed to be a good turnout of Shell's fans and perhaps that long period in the first division no more than we had a few years ago has galvanized their hardcore and given them a renewed a renewed interest uh, when you when you've been through that prolonged period in in the relative wilderness of the first division, it does make you appreciate the Premier a lot more. And we had a, a technical sellout, although with a ground yeah. that 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 really cannot cannot actually a lot of the sections of it are are, are not really usable anymore. Uh, something of a something of a kind of a, a melancholy air uh, combined with you know a vibrant atmosphere and that there were you know a good turnout for an inclement night, but. Uh, Talca Park is sort of in a in a sorry state. It brings us back to the question of facilities, and we we saw in Tala where we have a modern, comfortable stadium. You know, we had a big turnout and a big crowd. 
What's your view on, on, on the state of the rest of the country as regards infrastructure? Um, Talca is in a sorry state, Oriel a little better, Ballyfulfe last night, you know, once again, away fans compelled to stand out in the rain and it, it's, it doesn't really help the league develop, does it? No, and I think Talca Park, you think back to even, like obviously Dundalk fans always think back to 2002, the cup final, and the state of the stand that we were in mm. um, is really grim. And it's very sad, even like that main stand behind the goals is closed off. Mm. And Which is that's, relatively, that's new. relatively new. Mm. That's quite shocking as well. Um, I think it goes without saying that, yeah, the, the, the stadium's in a pretty poor condition. It's actually funny that because the Rovers game was uh, televised and you know made waves worldwide, it was nice to see the world seeing, although there was no stand behind the goal, mm. which is always a problem with League of Ireland wonder goals, um, it was great that that, that the goal that went viral was in a full stadium rocking that might show the world that you know we actually have a proper league here yeah yeah absolutely and and ho- hopefully it strengthens the case for this renewed FAI um, purged of some of its former leadership shall we say to be diplomatic it can go to the government and say look I mean this is a league deserving of investment it's it's an employer it's a serious cultural um, actor and agent in in communities around the country it gives communities a sense of identity and focus it brings people into areas that they may not otherwise come to it generates economic activity so i mean that's that's my argument and i hope the fai and the league will be bringing that to the next minister for sport to have a serious look at what we can do to rejuvenate and renovate places like talca and oriel and bali buffet and other venues around the country that have long footballing traditions um so we we had a a follow-on from the Shells game, we had our first um, Friday-Monday, and an epic battle of old, which doesn't seem to be nearly as significant as it was even already, um, a rather routine and, and, and somewhat drab win against uh, Cork City. Lads, what did you make of that? Let's not discount another Jordan Flores wonder strike uh, <laughs> in there as well. But um, definitely, I think the, even the expectation going to the ground was that you know Dundalk were going to win this very comfortably, and even the, the number of Cork fans that might have uh, witnessed online talking about the game where I think if anything grateful to, to get away with a modest 3-0 uh, and Cork uh, had just be, been whipped uh, the Friday previous by Shamrock Rovers yeah, as well just so. a lot of fear yeah. uh, in the air from them um, I think there may have been some grumbling in the stands again that night that maybe we didn't give them uh, more of uh, a lesson than you know uh, we possibly could have but at the same time I don't think anybody is going to turn their nose up at a 3-0 home win on a Monday night you know that's um, that's still points on the board yeah. clean sheet um, a lot to be happy with I think we we, we, we our, our grumbles should be pretty pretty minuscule I think given that uh, how tough Cork have been over recent years and how intense that rivalry was but it just it does illustrate how quickly a club can uh, or quickly a team can disintegrate so I mean the sustained success and the sustained um, competitiveness of this Dundalk side uh, over the last five six years really uh, it shouldn't be underestimated, and that's illustrated vividly by by Cork's um, sudden and kind of abrupt demise. And what's what's kind of troubling for them now is they've since they parted with John Caulfield, um, who regardless of whether you whether you appreciated his style and his tactics of play, he always had them competitive. They've now gone through his assistant, and and they've gone through to, to Neil Fenn, and there hasn't been a visible change in their fortunes. So I mean, once again, I. I, I 
it's it's something of a point that I'd always make. You, you change your manager, you know, at your peril. I, I think people are, are a little bit too quick to demand the heads of managers. And sometimes, as, as Stephen Bradley's case illustrates in one way, and as Cork's kind of flatlining illustrates as well, it's, it's not something you should do um, without due consideration that, you know, your current man can't get anything more out of the team and that you do have somebody who is highly probable to come in and do a better job, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, once again, as, as Cork have somewhat dipped and maybe going through something of a transition season as Neil Fenn builds his new team, the Rovers have certainly stepped up to, to take their place. And that was the next game, which we've talked about ad nauseum already. Uh, uh, so perhaps we'll skip on to, um, to, to our subsequent one which was our, our trip to Bally Buffet where we got back to winning ways. Now, Bally Buffet is one of those journeys that uh, fans tend to, to you know, pick and choose whether they, they make it. Do I take it that you didn't make it this time? Did not. Uh, you're the hardcore here, Ken. Uh, sorry to say. Uh, some Bally picked B- in, some chose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well uh, once again, it was kind of... Uh, cliches abound, but I mean, we, we were quite comfortable in the in the first half. But we did seem to become more fluid and fluent in the second half. There was a little bit too much, uh, perhaps long ball once again being knocked down the channels or rather 50-50 crosses being knocked into the box. But once we got the upper hand and we got that very early, and I think that's always crucial in these potentially tricky games, um, we did seem to come out in the second half and get stronger and stronger. And perhaps there was a, a, a sapping of morale in the in the Finn Harp side when they felt that, you know, at 2-0, they were probably not going to get back into the game. And then eventually we seemed to get a second wave um, when uh, we introduced McElhenney. And, of course, we got our first uh, our first um, viewing of our super Serb, uh, Stefan Kolovic. And uh, he looks to be quite a player, as we said in the after-match reaction last night. Not a great deal to base a definitive opinion on. But in the 20 minutes or so that he did have, um, we saw speed, we saw skill, we saw a kind of sweet left foot that can pick a pass. And if he had been a little bit more fortunate, he would have had a, a goal and an assist. One thing we didn't report on in our after-match reaction was that uh, Greg Slug had got himself on the uh, on the score sheet. And now Greg's one of our new sign-ins. We're still kind of forming an opinion about him. How do you think Greg has done so far? I think he's been one of the most impressive players for us, uh, game in, game out. Not just of the new additions. I think Sluggett has stood out as probably our best player so far. Uh, I've been really impressed with him. I think he's slotted into the side very well and uh, he looks to be, you know, uh, well on the way to becoming uh, a Dundalk legend. <laughs> I'm not sure he's been played in his best position like so far. And I think uh, I was interested in last night that um, I think there was a slight tactical reworking around the, the centre of the pitch where previously Jordan Flowers and Chris Shields would have been kind of side by side mm. with Slogget a bit further ahead of them. Um, I don't know if he's quite got the technical ability to play when the, the play is a bit more compressed in the final third. I think he's a bit better with his, his face to go. Mm-hmm. And so last night I was interested to see that Cammy Smith was kind of brought back into the number 10 position where I think even Cammy's body language says that he wants to play yeah. um, much more often than we had um, Dan Kelly on the, the right wing and Greg Sluggett kind of dropped back in a little bit more beside Chris Shields, which I think is a much more kind of natural position for those three to play. And it was a, Flores 
was dropped. Yeah. I, I, I'm very impressed by Vinnie Perth's ruthlessness there. Make it onto <laughs> CNN and your head's going to be big. You are dropped. That man can manage egos, you know? Worldwide sensation. Well, gone. Jordan is also a man who's had a few injury problems over the last couple of years, so I can actually understand, you know, Vinny taking it a little bit easy with uh, his body, you know, over uh, when we've got such a, a yeah. congested fixture list. It, it is an interesting question that you raised there, Martin, as well, in that. Uh, the most substantial change to the team has been in that midfield area with we you know if we take even just last season the departure of Jamie McGrath and Robbie Benson who when fit would be usually starting and um we we've we, we kind of are still working out exactly where our folks play and I know Gavin was interviewing our new signings and he I think he asked uh, he asked uh, Slogat whether he was a number a number 6 or a number 8 um, and he was non-committal. I think he was was leaving his options open. Um, but with Flores, Shields, and um, Sloggett, they've been sort of the midfield trio up until up until last night. Um, it, it, are they perhaps a little bit too similar, or do we do we need to change that blend? Do you think to to get the best out of our midfield? I think right now it's probably all about kind of partnerships and pairings mm. and. We're learning a little bit about that as we go because there's you know so many new faces uh, kind of in that uh, same part of the pitch at the moment, but I think you would say that probably one of the positions uh, that's up for grab is the the right flank at mm-hmm. the dock where like nobody has really nailed down that position over the past couple of years, and I think if you look at the left flank by comparison, um, even though we've um, brought in a, a couple of other alternatives, I think Dan Massey has held down that position because his partnership with Michael Duffy is so good. Yeah. And I think it would be interesting to see somebody try to, you know, make the right flank their own in a partnership with John Gannon. Um, because we we have had John Mountney, Daniel Kelly play there. Um, occasionally, you know, Cammy Smith was moved mm-hmm. out there on some occasions so far this season. Um, and although all those p- players are, you know, certainly capable of their day, um, yeah, it, it still remains a position that's that's somewhat up for grabs. And now we have Kolovich in the squad as well, who obviously be staking a big claim to that. Um, to that right wing berth. Now we, we hear different reports at once again, in a way we're still trying to get to know a lot of these players. I mean, even Flores who's been here for um, over season um, because his, his, um, his career has been sort of um, interrupted by injury so often, we're still really getting to know him as well. We know he's got this wonderful left foot and this amazing strike accurate passer of the ball. So how exactly, what our best midfield is, um, I, I think, you know, is, is very much up for grabs. That might be a point that we can throw out to our Twitter followers. If they want to get on Twitter, you can find us at DFC Fancast. And uh, perhaps you'd let us know what your number one uh, selection for the Dundalk midfield would be. Because um, I think we're, judging from, the, judging from what we've just said, we're still making up our minds on that. Perhaps even Vinny is as well. Um, I think if you look at the squad top to bottom, there's quality in, in every department. So I think really it's about finding who you know plays, uh, who gets those partnerships kind of up and running together. And I think there was some questions during the week as well about the centre of defence. I think you talked about this in the last episode as well, about who's your preferred central defensive partnership. And I think we're still kind of working that out mm-hmm. as well. And that's perhaps where maybe Shamrock Rovers, for example, might be a little bit more settled at the moment. They have those partnerships kind of worked out, at least for their first choice. And as long as they remain injury-free, 
there's not too much uh, turbulence there. But I think if you look at Dundalk, like I say, there's a couple more positions that are just up for grabs. We're still finding out who works with best together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Daniel Cleary did come in last night and looked very assured and very confident. And last season he was out of the team for prolonged periods, but Vinny seems to have got it really right about um, letting players know that just because they're on the bench, it doesn't mean that they're a second choice or they're in the reserves or when they come into the team, it's squad rotation. He, he, Daniel Cleary said in an interview after a prolonged period when he was out of the team and he had returned, when he was asked about rotation, uh, he said, well, you know, I, I don't really consider it rotation. Vinny has us all believing that we are first team players and he seems to have drilled that mentality home. And it's the big thing, I think, that Vinny Perth has uh Having separated himself from Stephen Kenny is his rotation and his mm. use of rotation. Uh, Stephen Kenny rotated far less, mm. and Vinnie Perth has done it quite successfully. Um, so uh, it, it's great to hear that the players, you know, are, are happy in that kind of in and out situation because then you look at someone like Brian Gartland, who you mightn't see for prolonged periods, and you would worry, you know, um, are some of these players going to try and you know go out the door? But uh, if if everyone's happy to play their part, it you know, it strengthens the whole team. And it was a big call to put Brian Gartland back into the cup final last year when he had perhaps not featured or maybe was not expected to feature, but he certainly didn't didn't let us down. He no, wasn't not at all. Him. And it was kind of funny because the return of Andy Boyle was kind of maybe could disrupted mm. the defence and broke up long-standing partnerships last uh, season. So it was actually great to see someone like Dan Curry come back last night and you know, a clean sheet. Mm. And if I were to put you on the spot, guys, and you were in the manager's hot seat now, who would you choose as our, our number one uh, central offensive duo? <laughs> That's a tough one. Uh, I don't know. I think I'd maybe go with uh, Horan Cleary. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of controversy about that. Other people think very differently. My problem is I was down Cafe Rock Salt this morning, uh, Blackrock's premier spot for uh, lattes and Maoist art on the walls. And half the Dundalk squad were in there, you know, so you have to be careful what you say. They were having a well-earned smashed avocado on toast. and um, But I would say, uh, clearly in horror, I would, you know, I think that should be given more of a run at. We're in agreement. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, that's a consensus there. So the guys favour youth. Uh, it'll be interesting to know um, what, what our listeners think, uh, whether they'd go for the traditional uh, exper- uh, experience duo of Boyle and Gartland or some other combination of youth and experience. Perhaps we'll put that up as a Twitter poll once again. Keep an eye out for that at, at Dundalk FC, uh, sorry, DFC Fancast. Um Right, so we've had another signing. We alluded to him just a little bit there, and that's Cammy Smith. What have you made of Cammy's contribution? I was quite impressed by everything I've seen from him as well. Um, didn't look out of place, looked confident, uh, looked up for it. So um, I think he is slotted in quite well. Every time I've seen him so far, I think he's been withdrawn after an hour. And I don't know if uh, Vinny just thinks he's you know that kind of player who's going to you know use up all of his... Uh, useful energy within the, the first hour or if he's you know still working up to the, the pace of the league or something like that but um, I definitely think he's tidy like mm. he's technically good um, maybe struggles to kind of impose himself on the game a little bit when the, the run of play is going against us a little bit but for somebody who's very new to the league I mean never played a League of Ireland game before you know four weeks ago uh, I think he already looks very solid and that, there are yeah. many players I've seen you know kind of introduced who've taken much longer to kind of get to there yeah. even like uh, a few years ago we got you know maybe a uh, Hoare or McGrath coming from Pats who were who played League of Ireland games looked a bit dazed you know maybe at the pace of Dundalk and the level we play at now they, they made it to that uh, level eventually but yeah 
Cammy just seems to have slotted straight in. Yeah, he, he, he is highly rated by the fans. We saw that reaction on social media when he turned up at Dundalk. Many of, many of the uh, fans he had in Scotland were wishing him best and somewhat surprised that he was making the move to Ireland. He does seem to be very technically gifted and it, it's not entirely clear. Uh, he, he does tend to get substitutes a lot. I, I think that may be because, he, you know, rather than any any judgment on his performances, which I think have been quite constructive, mm. um, you know, I think that might be just as uh, as he works himself back to full fitness, having been out of season and, and what have you. But definitely he's one of a number of players who can now play in that number 10 role. And I suppose it's another one where the manager has options. I mean, we can conceivably play Cami in there or we can possibly play Patrick McElhenney who would traditionally be operating in that role of course we saw him in a deeper role at points last season where he was very effective as well so um you know it's 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 one of those other positions that's up for grabs so so far I, I suppose if we're looking at our signings although we haven't seen much of Kolovich yet they seem to be they seem to be um, all astute uh, additions to the squad by Vinny. So I suppose we have to give him a, another thumbs up there. Uh, Vinny has talked a little bit about growing as a leader this year, um, and I suppose there was a lot of glee when Stephen departed among our rivals. Vinny sort of couldn't really have had much of a better answer to that in, in a near clean sweep, a, a huge trophy haul. Um, yet again, we seem to have a more intensified uh, challenge this year. A stronger Shamrock Rovers side, likely to push us, um, likely to push us all the way. Highly fancied by many to 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 be the champions at the end of the season. Of course, we'll have a, a lot to say about that between now and then. Um, how do you think Vinny's doing at this point in his career, and what kind of changes do you do you expect over the coming season? That is a tough one. Like, <laughs> I think. We talked a little bit earlier about John Caulfield leaving Cork and you know some of the, the non-reaction uh, that they got by, by changing manager. And I think the Dundalk board had a big decision last year when uh, Stephen Kenny left, somewhat under, shall we say, uh, very hasty circumstances, that uh, they opted for continuity with Vinnie Perth. And I think that was a bit of a gamble uh, on their part, but I think it's paid off handsomely. Like You can see the effect that it's had. And you know, if you bring in a new coach, you can see, you know, them wanting to bring in their their own backroom staff or maybe their own, you know, players that they they think they can rely upon. And instead, we've had continuity, and I think that is, like I say, paid off so handsomely. I I'm not sure if there is really anything that Vinnie Perth has done so far that you know has disappointed anybody. As you say, the the trophy yeah. hall that he's got is incredible. Um, all of the players still seem to be, you know, very much on side, even despite some of the rotation. Mm. Um. Yeah, but what else can you say? And I think I have. You have to say kudos to the club owners, who sometimes I have problems with. <laughs> um, I think it was a huge gamble, um, sticking with Vinny, because uh, I think the temptation could have been to bring in someone. And there was this talk of someone coming in from abroad because of the money behind the club and this kind of attitude now that they're you know going international and these kind of things with players. Um, I, I think there was some kind of sneering at Dundalk when Perth was uh, was installed because I think the idea was that other fans were like kind of saying oh this is it it's, it's, it's over and mm. he's answered the critics massively um, him and John Gill as well we have to always uh, uh, give kudos to Giller as well but um, I think he's answered the critics um, I think the big thing for me has been the rotation um, mm. so it was it was, a, it was a gamble to, to, to I'd say to go with him but um, Maybe in hindsight it wasn't a gamble because um, he's clearly a you know incredibly talented man, talented man, um, liked by the staff and the players clearly. Um, 
And he has put his own stamp on it mm. because he didn't just follow the Stephen Kenny playbook, mm-hmm. um, which was really important. And I remember, uh, you know, we lost three games in a row last uh, April. Um, and I mean, John Gill had said, uh, he's on the record as saying, they were like another game away from being sacked. They mm. felt they were. Uh, and the turnaround from that April period was incredible. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I just I, I recall that quite vividly when we had the uh, an unfortunate result uh, against St Patrick's Athletic in a game there wasn't really much between the sides, but it just didn't go for us at the night. And OG just before half time with no time to respond in terrible conditions. Yeah, as well. difficult conditions, and then you you just feel like perhaps it isn't going to be your night. And I think probably the most difficult moment we had was that um, that Easter trip to Sligo. Then mm. immediately after that, where the team did seem out of sorts. And they met a very pacey and confident Sligo, which very quickly had them under a lot of pressure. And it just, you know, the game didn't go our way. Um, and it's really at that point that a manager has to um, has to prove his worth. And Vinny, he, he doesn't rant, he doesn't rave. He, we don't see him losing his temper, temper in the media or really seeking many headlines. He's always never too high when we win, never too low when we lose. And uh, I think he's been, uh, you know, he's grown into the role. And what I'm kind of interested in is, you know, he's had that first season when all that adversity came at him. And, you know, there was moments when players got long-term injuries and games didn't go our way. And you just thought perhaps, you know, this, this, this bad luck is just going to, you know, be the undoing of this new regime. And maybe questions will be asked about and the whole thing open up again about should they have gone for a different manager. But having come through that tremendously, you know, having the board backed him and him backed the players and it all worked out tremendously well in the end. It's going to be interesting to see um, as Vinny develops. He's talked about changing himself. He talks about moving from being a coach to being a manager. And, the and he's also actually started getting a bit political in his program notes, oh. which was the Stephen Kenny's, you know, uh, thing. I think he mentioned the housing crisis and the election in one of the programs. What? We were always waiting for Vinny Perth to finally issue his. Uh, I think he might have rebutted a few uh, people who had a pop at him in the press as well, yes. which yeah. was great to see. Yeah, Kenny swinging, yeah. Find his own corner. And so, I suppose it shows the confidence he has now, because I mm. suppose last season he probably wouldn't have been confident to say those things. Mm. But now. I mean, he's proved it. Like last season, proved he's capable. So I think he can now take a pop back at certain pundits who are uh, having a go at him. Well, he's he's talked about leadership and how he wants to become a leader. So who knows? Maybe he has ambitions. You know, it could be, <laughs> higher than that. There uh, could be a, a a clutch of trophies and then a run for the Oris. Word also guessed me that he was wearing a blazer last night over uh, a tank top. So maybe he's in. Pep Guardiola style fashion oh, rotation. I very much approve of that. But that's <laughs> I didn't notice it because we were on the other side of the pitch. But uh, that that is encouraging. Oh, it's good to hear he's rotating his fashion options. Of all the areas that we were asked, could he improve upon? I didn't expect fashion was <laughs> going to be the. I detect that that we might be at a little bit of a tangent here. I don't know where we're going to talk about uh, uh, about fashion, and perhaps that's a, a different podcast that we might get into. <laughs> Just at this point, we might just have a little bit of a reflection. Um, listeners might notice there is a voice missing around the table from the glory days of our Dundalk Sport conversations, and that's our good friend Gavin McLaughlin, um, who has moved on to, well, shall we say, better things. He's uh, having put in a, a couple of years as essentially a, a one-man media empire with Dundalk Sport, covering pretty much everything in the region, and put in an awful lot of graft and an awful lot of hard work and built up that brand to be, to be, well, what, what shall we say, the premium source for local sport, and particularly the things on Doc FC. 
Um, Gavin has landed a, a role with the club itself. It's something of a dream job for a Dundalk fan. He's now the media officer for um, Dundalk FC and seemingly seemingly enjoying the role and loving it, producing all their content. And uh, the only downside to this is he isn't around to, to host these little conversations anymore, which he was so good at. I feel I feel a little bit like Sean Hoare in midfield, you know. I can probably <laughs> do the job, but really would be more comfortable in my own position as a as a <laughs> as a sort of contributor rather than the host. Um, so I suppose we, we're carrying on. Some people expressed an interest that we would still have these conversations, and we're yet to find a format really, um, and we've yet to find a replacement for Gavin, if such a thing is <laughs> even possible. But yeah. we're on the lookout for for perhaps a host and contributors. And once again, um, on Twitter. If anybody wants to get in touch and if they have any questions, send your CVs in for yeah. a host. We're, we're we're kind of open to see what fans kind of want from from this podcast and what they'd like, and it can be simple, simply something like what you would like us to discuss and talk about, or any ideas you have yourself, or suggestions for the format and where we might go and what we might do with it, because it's all early days and pretty formative at this stage. So we just wanted to mention Gavin uh, and uh, and wish him all the best in the new role. So far, so good. Uh, I think we, we well, he's changed the format of the program. I think to huge controversy. There's a lot of people looking at this, you know, size yeah. uh, material coming in front of them. Now, at the same time, I think there was what sixty pages or something. Yeah. Was there in the the home program against Cork? Like that is an incredible. That's an amazing yeah, publication for, yeah. for three euros. And now available in digital format, which I'm very impressed yeah. by, environmentally so. I'm really interested to see what Gavin does. And there is talk of, for instance, uh, we might have a rival podcast, by the way, no. the official podcast, possibly. But um, I'd be really interested to see what, what he brings to it, because he did an incredible job with Dundalk Sport. And um, I mean, I've known Gavin for years, and I just thought, when he when he went off to do that, I just thought uh, that he, he did a brilliant job of it. Mm. Um and things like the podcast and stuff, I mean, people got a really good reaction to them. Um, so I think it's also brilliant to see someone like that at the club because it's the club you love. You want to see their content, you know, step up a level and someone that talented doing it. It could all be good um, until he makes some kind of horrific gaffe on Twitter and <laughs> we, we trend worldwide for the wrong thing. Yeah, that's Cork City style. We, yeah. We've just signed a player from Serbia you know, <laughs> or something like that, which which we have. Um <coughs> Yeah, but you know, best luck to Gavin. That we, we, you know, we, we've uh, always welcome back. By the way, oh yes, indeed. Um, but to defend uh, the club, I suppose not. Not pointing any fingers, but uh, as the content for the, I, I've, I've noticed we have our little Twitter videos now for our goal celebrations, and our, our, so obviously I can see Gavin's hand in all of that. And our official media, I think, is in very safe hands. However. Official media tends to be constrained in the amount that it can grumble and moan and complain, and we all know that that really is where the joy of football uh, lies in, yeah. in having having a moan about. Uh, uh, nonetheless, you know, you know, great start to the season, points on the board, goals galore, very few conceded, but you know, after moan. We, we still do enjoy a grumble about how it could yeah. be a little bit better here and there. And even if we win the Champions League, I suppose there'll still be puddles and gravel to be talked about oh, yeah. in the ground. So we, we can perhaps find a home for that here in uh, the Men That Save Football. Um, so basically looking ahead to the next month, um, we've got... We've got a familiar figure, a Dundalk legend, returning next Friday. Uh, Stephen O'Donnell's going to bring us in Patrick's athletic side. 
Uh, rumour is that we won't be seeing another Dundalk legend. Robbie Benson apparently has picked up an injury. So that's unfortunate for Robbie and we'd wish him a, a speedy recovery. But perhaps fortunate for us in that we know what a good player he is. So we, we won't be too sad to see him not uninvolved. Um, how do you think Stephen's done at Pats and what, how would you expect that game to go? Um, I think he's done uh, quite well at Pats for someone who's a new manager. Um I think I would expect us to win. As, you know, I hate you know hate predicting because people jump down your throat on Twitter when you're wrong. Um, I, I mean, I think he made some good signings. I think getting Robbie Benson was an absolute coup. And, um, you know, a player of that uh, level is going to lift any team. And I think when, when, when Skip left, I mean, Dundalk fans, in a way, you want to see him do as well as possible, but you don't want him to do too well, you know. <laughs> not, uh, particularly not against us. <laughs> exactly. So um, I hope he's a very bad day next Friday. Uh, but uh, generally, I think he's done okay. I think he's, he's taken a big risk in the amount of player turnover that they've had this year. Now, he clearly saw some things from last year that maybe he didn't like and he let a lot of people go. Um, but when you bring so many new faces into a, a squad like that, it just takes time to gel. And I think we've seen that, you know, in the dog squads of the past uh, as well. And I think they're just at that point where there's a lot of new faces. They haven't really learned each other's game. The results you know, have been quite well. inconsistent, I believe. Yeah. They're struggling for goals. Like, they've been struggling for goals for quite some time now. Um, <clears throat> and they were uh, under Harry Kenny before him as well. And what? they don't seem to have sorted that yet. One player that does seem to be returning to form for them was Chris Forrester, who we all know is an exceptional talent, but has had a hard time of it over in uh, in the UK and has returned to, I suppose, his spiritual home in, in St. Patrick's Athletic. Didn't really have much of a season that caught the headlines last year, but looks to be getting back to his old form. Yeah, I think when, when he did re-sign, and I think Pat started quite strongly, very briefly, sorry, last season, and I think their, their fans were quite excited and it looked like they they might be up there, um, but he it didn't really materialise for him last year at all. It was quite scary when they signed someone like him because you think, mm-hmm. oh wow, I mean he's an exceptional player. So when a rival gets a player like that, you think you know this this could be bad news. But um, hasn't really worked out. But I said it seems to be turning around. I think there's so many players come back into the league and think to themselves, well, I'll just pick up you know where I left off, and it doesn't happen. Yeah. And I think we've seen it with the likes of Damien Delaney come back to Cork. Mm. Um, did not fit in well. Um, Chris Forrester, you know, came back. He hasn't set the world alight in the meantime. And you know, when you're away for that amount of time, it's easy to kind of look back on the League of Ireland and think this is sort of a a level I'm very comfortable at. Mm. Uh, and you come back and find that you know there's a lot of young players there. There's a lot of pace. There's a lot of you know power in the the midfield and that kind of thing. And it's it's very difficult to to slot back in. Yeah, it is. It is a lot more. Uh competitive than many many spectators and indeed many players give give it credit for and we had another slew of really spectacular goals from around the country last night so i suppose social media is really helping us out there because i have to you know once again do like a grumble i have to say having to wait till a monday night for a really slim down soccer republic is is kind of it's almost criminal by RTE to have marginalised the league coverage to that extent because we did have a very nice format with the old Soccer Republic and I think it was really all the value of that show was in the discussion from yep. Alan Cawley and Dave Barry and you could tell these guys were hugely enthusiastic about the league and now it's somewhat apologetically 
presented as expediently as possible. I really do have a problem with that show being cut down to merely half an hour with content that you can get on Twitter and YouTube. Um, I think, you know, as you said, the discussion was the reason I watched it. Yeah. Um, and when you cut that out, it becomes... And now with goals available so uh, easily, it's, it's, it's almost a pointless endeavour. I think there's times as well, but there's Monday night games on... And they're already, you know, underway or in some cases finished by the time that Soccer Republic is showing the Friday night goals. Yeah. And I think it's just so far past the point of relevance um, by the time we get to, to Monday night. It's, you know, very hard to get the attention of a, a lot of people. I mean, you'd imagine that the, the uh, market for this kind of content is mainly League of Ireland fans, people who are actually at the games themselves. And to have it so far after that, you know, you're, you're missing all but of the attention. But I think it was, it was a goal... A goal from halfway in Daily Mount last year, which broke Ortiz back on showing goals immediately. Mm. Um, oh, that was the Conan Burn. Conan Burn, yeah. And then, and then uh, Ortiz said, "Okay, okay, we'll put it up." And I think that was the that you know broke and the floodwaters came in after that because I mean, if you think about Jordan Flores's goal, mm. uh, amongst as you said, other uh, many goals uh, already uh, that are uh, that are really exciting people. Um, and we're glad to see that that's a thing of the past that you had to wait till Monday night to see those goals because it was just backward stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the cost of all that has been absolutely no punditry, no analysis at all, um, which is kind of sad to see. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> once again, that's the Premier Division level. I mean, if you're in the First Division, it's almost like there is a, a media embargo against you. I mean, you know, you're, if you're a, a fan of Galway United, for example, you're, you're, you have to get the microscope out to get the hit newspaper report 12 days later. And, of course, there's zero coverage um, on, on any of the RT platforms. And, I mean, the, the frustrating thing I have about this is that this is not difficult or expensive to do. I do not see why we couldn't have a proper restored um, Soccer Republic show. I mean, they, they got, to me, they had that formula pretty well sorted whatever about the scheduling and where it fell I, I did have a problem with it being shunted up to half 11 at night occasionally particularly when you look at what's on instead which is home and away and friends and will and grace and this type yeah. of you know stuff um i i, I just I, I like i think they had that right at the hour length and they had a good team behind it and i don't see why you couldn't do a rte player internet based show to cover the first division i really i, I don't see why that's a, a non-justified cost given in that the resources that RTE have at their disposal, and once again their remit as national broadcaster. Yeah, that's the thing. They have a remit, yes. and uh, you know they're a public broadcaster. And if they're a commercial private organisation, we wouldn't really have much leverage to to yeah. ask them to do anything. But I think they do give like when they give lavish coverage and, and, and extensive coverage to sports that they can't even show. Um, I do think it's it's a little bit rich that that the first division is totally unseen and unacknowledged and Soccer Republic is, is very much diminished. Well now that Shamrock Rovers 2 are down there and the Dublin media uh, you know, and their love for Shamrock Rovers 1 maybe we'll see some uh, on. but the other thing I will say is well, the little thing that gives me hope not to add too much to the cult of Jack Byrne because there's enough members of that cult at the moment um, but the, the hype around him, and it's justified hype and he's a very talented player things are like the Flores goal Things like the general quality of last Friday's game, it's the non-League of Ireland uh, community are talking about these things. Uh, crowds are up. There's great atmosphere at games. You know, Shelburne, the Shells fans, Bose fans, there's great atmosphere at games. Possibly this is 
a turning point for the league, things like this. These amazing goals, cracking football, which we've always known about yeah. in recent years. It's starting to get out there. It's getting out there through social media. And maybe traditional media are now going to come back into the fold uh, when they realise that there is a product there. I mean, yeah. we do like to talk about the, the fundamentals and everything, but at the same time, you need somebody to light up the league every yeah. now and again. And one of the things that I like most about people like Richie Tell was he just put himself out there in the media for all sorts of things. I mean, yeah. there were interviews with him about where he got his haircut and how he was yeah. doing it. And it was, the, the infamous Richie's Tell in, you know, <laughs> club merchandise and everything like that was ridiculous, but incredible. Um, yeah. And I suppose that is the silver lining, uh, even if we had uh, the bitter pill of defeat. Um, I I said in the reaction after the Rovers game, it was just such an occasion because we have in decades gone by seen Dundalk and Chamber Rovers play out games in the RDS uh, in front of a couple of hundred people where the players had to have tetanus shots before they went on the pitch because there had been horses in in the arena previously. And that was just... It seemed like so we had been pushed as as a league so far to the margins and that was really when the Premier uh, League in England had been marketed heavily, that it had all more or less taken over the consciousness of the of the football-prone public in Ireland and everything was about Manchester United or Arsenal or Liverpool, which is fine and all of that. Like yeah. we, we all have our interest in the English Premier League, although I think that's probably waning with the, the less competitive nature of it over oh, there. Definitely, and I know plenty of people who would have followed English clubs, myself included, and my interest has eroded to almost nothing now so you're now getting your 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 footballing fix locally yeah and but i would have always maintained you know an interest in 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 both but my interest in the english league i mean i liverpool uh, to be honest with you some liverpool players could walk into this room right now and i wouldn't recognize Mm. them i've just my attention to that is completely gone yeah, I, I think the Premier League has become so brand driven, even compared to, you know, when we were talking about the 90s and things like that, where it was still, you know, yeah. being heavily marketed and that kind of thing. But there's such a detachment between uh, the locality where these clubs exist and the clubs themselves that yeah. I think you can see, you know, people's interest in uh, in the localness of the club just waning entirely. I, I think it, it it is true. I mean, I, I think most, most of our listeners and most people who go to Oriel Park and other grounds, they they are football fans and they would be they would do the thing of having their their allegiance to their League of Ireland club and an interest or strong interest or maybe even a, they might even claim it as a fandom of, of uh, clubs across the water and and particularly when times are bad for your League of Ireland club like when Dundalk was in the first division I think my interest in, in the fate of Arsenal and how they were getting on was there as a sort of a, a form of therapy because when you're when you're third from bottom in the first division you do need some something to cling on to but I think you know going over to England for, um, for a match it's become such a sanitized corporate affair now the grounds are magnificent the football players you see are of world-class quality but i mean for simple things like when you can't get more than one ticket when you have to join a scheme to perhaps be eligible to perhaps get yourself a ticket when it is ridiculously grotesquely expensive um, and sometimes then the matches are very dead and uncompetitive and lacking the sort of visceral yeah all engaging excitement that you get in a League of Ireland game, it, it just becomes something that you think, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not really getting much out of this. I'm not really feeling this I'll anymore. tell you a story. Two weeks ago, uh, true story, I was talking to someone who's not from Ireland and I was explaining the League of Ireland tour. And it was, it was in a crowded pub. And there was someone sitting next to me. And I said to her, I go to most home games. And the guy next to me overheard that. 
And he turned around and goes, oh, I'm going to the West Ham game. And I just looked at him dumbfaced and I said, who are West Ham playing? Then he looked at me like I had two heads and he goes, Liverpool, right? He assumed I was talking about Liverpool. Mm. And I had casually said, I go to most home games. And I said, oh, no, 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 Dundalk. But he just assumed, he overheard someone saying, I go to most home games. And he assumed it was Liverpool. And he was flying out for the um, for the West Ham game. I had no idea Liverpool were playing West Ham. Mm. And I, that wasn't me trying to be, oh, the big League of Ireland man. I had no idea. But it was two different worlds talking yeah. to each other. And, and we have traditionally had that divide. And I, I, it can sometimes make us sound a little bit puritanical in that if you're not a League of Ireland fan, you're not a proper football fan. And, and of course, people have different levels of interest. And at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're free to choose. But it used to be that if you were in Dublin Airport on a Saturday morning, you would see scores of guys in their club colours about to Ryanair it off to London or Manchester or Liverpool to take in a game. But what I think what really irked us was when in a conversation such as that, you would say, well, actually, I'm a Dundalk fan. And you would be then looked at in absolute disbelief. Yeah. And then when you confirm that you weren't joking, you would be sort of ridiculed. Yeah. And um, I think I, you turned away and didn't want to talk to me anymore. Yeah, I, yeah. I think when you find yourself in a, a ground of another club as a tourist hmm. and you were surrounded by other tourists... Hmm. I mean, what kind of atmosphere or, you know, mm. camaraderie do you really expect from, from that? Like, when we think about the, the passion that surrounds football, what you really want to be part of is, is people who feel that same thing. And, and it, in contrast to what the experience might be the last few times I have it, whereby you are, you are sitting next to perhaps a Chinese businessman and his wife and two children and several shopping bags of merchandise that they've picked up that day. Uh, and um, and once again, there's no chanting, there's no conversation, there's because everybody is quite atomized, you know, yeah. because you can really only get your hands on one ticket at a time unless you travel with a supporters club. You're sitting amongst strangers watching millionaires, you know, play out perhaps a, a, a game that you're not really all that emotionally invested in. So I think what we're probably saying is uh, <laughs> League of Ireland is the greatest league in the world and all you folks that like football from elsewhere, well, you really need to get on board. I, I think there's an opportunity, right? Uh, you know, that the league here could potentially capitalise on that kind of sentiment that's going around the place. Like if we can get people back into supporting clubs in and around their communities, I think you know, those people will, will feel the, the passion. That the league might be able to capitalise on a current worldwide uh, crisis. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe flights to England and it might be closed stadiums. Maybe the League of Ireland could COVID-19 could be a silver lining. I think the joke this week was that the government were going to ban public gatherings of more than 5,000 uh, and most people were looking around at their club saying, well, at least our games will still go yeah. ahead. Uh, in fact, a League of Ireland game might be the safest place to be yeah. <laughs> during the coming crisis. <laughs> that's a, that's a definitely an interesting and perhaps controversial marketing plan. Um, just you might pick up something worse at a League of Ireland ground though. To, to move forward then, we've discussed Pats a little bit. Also this month, uh, we, we've had the trip to Daily Mount, which has become something of a, an event. Bulls are a club which are very much doing a lot of good things as regards marketing, community engagement, and they sort of they've created this much vaunted match experience of you know uh, basically getting to Fibsborough and getting to your favourite hostelry, and there seems to be a good atmosphere, a good buzz around that ground, and it's been a happy hunting ground for Dundalk this last few seasons. Will you be making your way to Daily Mount, and what will you be expecting if you get there? Oh, definitely. And I think in recent years, uh, the, the, the trip to Delhi Mount is, is always great fun. Usually, uh, 
good return for uh, Dundalk. And as I said, it is definitely a good atmosphere. Good uh, banter between the two crowds as well, back and forth uh, across the pitch. And uh, yeah, it's good fun. Do you think our mutual antipathy towards that other Dublin club has formed a, a weird sort of bond between Bulls fans and the Dog fans? I mean, there was a bit of a debate last season when uh, I, I think we'd already wrapped up the league by the time we went to Daily Mount, but the question kind of hung in the air that if it was still up for grabs and uh, Dundalk were going to Daily Mount hunting for points, would, you know, Bose perhaps just, you know, take the foot off the gas and <laughs> let us roll through uh, at the time? So, I don't know, I, I think it will be fiercely competitive as usual, but yeah, um, yeah the, the atmosphere around the ground is great. I think the, the only sad thing is, as a, an away supporter, the condition of the, the Des Kelly stand is not that great. We, um, we hear a lot about the away end at Royal Park, yeah. and and I'm not not about to defend it, but some other clubs can't be throwing stones. I don't. Yeah, think. I I think the thing about Daily Mount is there is a plan, um, but the the whole thing is the ground is treading water at the moment yeah. while Dublin City Council kind of sort out what they are going to do and when they are going to do it. Um, so understandably, nobody is really keen to invest money in the ground in the meantime while that's going. Mm. On. We yeah. just have to put up with it. It would be great to see um, Daily Mount as well as Talca and ourselves. It would be great to see that development, the envisaged development, take place because you know it could it could do for that part of the city what Tala has done for for Tala Stadium has done for Tala, which is to bring people in. And when you bring people into an area, you're creating all sorts of activity and all, like if you if we want to put it down into just merely economic activity and in, in transport in, in in food and drink and all of those peripheral things which which mightn't seem that significant uh, to fans but actually are hugely but significant it, to local business exactly on a friday night eight thousand people who wouldn't be there otherwise yeah i mean that again if you go back to things that the league should be promoting or you know trying to drum up support is for businesses i mean when we go down to fibsborough cafes bars pubs in the area that night will get a jump that wouldn't be there otherwise. And you wouldn't get a job jump if Liverpool West Ham is on television. Mm. Pubs will get a bit of a bump when Liverpool are on television. But people going out for food and those kind of things, um, definitely all, it all gets rise as crowds go up. So, um, yeah. Mm. So after Bowes, um, we'll finish off the month by playing Waterford at home. Um, uh, Waterford, <coughs> once again, it's it's an away trip that people pick and choose, but we'll, we'll, we'll have them visiting Oriel first this time. Uh, Waterford was the scene of our first Jordan Flores uh, wonder goal. Um, they've now, of course, got Exton Dog player um, uh, Michael O'Connor as their captain. So once again, that's, that's an interesting subplot to the Waterford game. What do you think we can expect from Waterford this year? Not much. Um, I no, that's a bit. Of I um, I don't think that they're going to offer up much. To mm. be honest with you, um, again, I hate predicting anything that is going to blow up in your face, but uh, I would say that'll be a fairly uh, comfortable night for Dundalk. I thought that they had actually recruited reasonably well. I mean, I think they were the main beneficiaries of two of the other monster clubs uh, going in the other direction. So you know, after Limerick and then Cork uh, have taken a turn for the worse. They've picked up a number of players from there, like um, Kevin O'Connor, Graham Cummins. Um, obviously, they've got Michael O'Connor as well down there at the moment. And for a club that, you know, they came up with a lot of momentum. They did very well in the, the first half of the, the season they came up. Um, then they had a budget cut and kind of went a little bit in the other direction. They didn't have the, the European monies that they might have expected in controversial circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think on a relatively modest budget, they've then had the opportunity to pick up a lot of players that they wouldn't otherwise have had. And so I think they're a little bit stronger, um, maybe than they they were last season. I think, I think that will be a competitive match. I'd still expect Dundalk to win it, um, but uh, I can see them definitely offering something. 
in that epic cup final against Shamrock Rovers, every fan will recall that Michael O'Connor popped up as a substitute to play the pantomime villain somewhat by equalising and, and dragging us all into into extra time. And, of course, enjoying his celebration. Well, in I, know I have to say, to defend Michael O'Connor, um, I think we were chanting at him, he sits on the bench, he sits on the bench. He came off the bench and scored. I think he was <laughs> totally entitled to his moment of uh, taunting us. Yeah. Um, because, you know, fair is fair. Yeah. We taunted him. He answered. Uh, so, yeah. Just for the sake of our listeners, I'll, 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 I'll give that admission to you. I, I would <laughs> never do such a thing. Um, but uh, no, no, nonetheless, it, it all ended happily. Uh, that yeah. was one of the more memorable games that, that we've had in recent years. A real epic clash that took took everything. And one had of my everything. favourite games ever. Yeah, yeah, it was just so fantastic. None <clears> the least for uh, Stephen O'Donnell's final winning goal, uh, which was which was you know something of a, a very sweet victory. Again, we talk about the Jordan Flowers goal is probably the best goal. I mean, I've probably one of the best goals I've ever seen in the flesh. But then one of my favourite goals would have been the Stephen O'Donnell because of so many factors involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. Inspirational. Someone that, should that do a wee, one of those wee animations of the uh, O'Donnell goal. Yeah, definitely. It's it's never too late. It's it's kind of nice to see all. It's nice to see that the Flores goal has sort of inspired art now at this stage. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as well as everything else. Now, just after Waterford, we face a return to um, a tricky spot for us last year, where we had one of our most difficult days, which was Sligo away. Sligo currently are at the bottom of the table. They're playing the Shams, as they call them, tonight. Would you expect that to go Shamrock Rovers' way? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Sligo are doing us a favour tonight. Mm. A way win. Yeah, I, th- I, I think yeah. so too. I think if Rovers are to be uh, frustrated, uh, it probably won't be tonight. But yeah, and it's almost, you, you kind of think, how bad will it be tonight? You know, which is, you know, sad to say, but... Well, I, I think Sligo are bottom of the table, but they had two matches cancelled. So mm. they haven't had maybe the same opportunity to get points. But at least in... The recent past, their home form hasn't been great, uh, even stretching into last season. And so I wouldn't be very optimistic that they're suddenly going to uh, to find new form tonight. And you would hope by the time we get there that we'll have gelled and we'll have integrated all our new players in and, and we shouldn't have a day like we had last year. Although, doubtless, there will be unexpected twists and turns. On that topic, a lot of people have been talking about the strength of Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk and essentially saying that it's it's all about those two teams. Do you feel it's all about the head-to-heads this year? Um, no, because to be honest with you, it's what the two of us do in the other games, which really is the points on the board. Mm. The head-to-heads are important. I mean, they they took first bragging rights, but it's early in the season. We won the league by beating them last year, mm. so head-to-heads are often important. But really, what will what will do it is those week in week out, and it's the it's the weird slip ups. You know, it's you lose to Sligo, you lose to Pats, which you begin to wobble. So I, I think it's it's what it's what the two of us. I mean, if Rovers, you know, praise God, were to slip up tonight, um, that's more significant in a way because it puts us on an even keel. Um, so no, I think it's it's what the two clubs do away from each other, which to me is more way more important. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the. The head-to-heads, as you say, went a long way to deciding, you know, how far Dundalk were ahead at the the top of the table last year. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, discount the importance yeah. of those. But um, yeah, at the same time, I think a lot of it is kind of reactions to defeats. So you know, last year we talked about when Dundalk last uh, lost at St Pat's, the reaction to that was going what sixteen consecutive <coughs> wins or something like that, like mm-hmm. a really incredible response. 
And I think when Shamrock Rovers hit a bit of a sticky patch last year, they didn't respond as well. It took them, you know, four, five, six weeks to get back to, to winning ways. And that's what really, you know, kind of swung that big turnaround in points that well, we saw last year. One of the amazing things about the head-to-heads is last year we beat them three times and drew one. But in the run-up to the cup final, and we'd won the league by 11 points, there was all this talk that Rovers had closed the gap on us now. Mm. They won the cup final, so I can't really say much. But the punditry in the week running up were that Rovers were now at our level. But the head-to-heads showed something completely different. So, you know, and the league final league table showed something completely different. I think what would give me a lot of confidence in the long run is that you know it's pretty clear this Dundalk side know how to win a league. Yeah, and they always talk about that final ten games where it's really tight. You know, who's going to be able to hold their nerve and kind of grind out the result? Uh, I think the answer in this case is definitely Dundalk. In that case, I would be sceptical about you know Rovers' ability to do that until. Such I think as well, like Stephen Kenny's last league win as well. It was the running at the end mm. where it just ground down and Cork just fell behind too much. Um, it was those week in, week out results which, which did it for us. And and it was a remarkable rivalry in, in over over not just that season, but all those seasons where basically you were you were kind of watching them dog win and keeping an eye on the score and if Cork were drawing doubtless in the last ten minutes there'd be some goal that just kept the drama going. And of course that's what we really want as fans. I mean you kind of get the sense of interest has gone out of the season across the water now because it's it seems to have been a, a, a certainty that Liverpool will eventually pick up this title at some point or another. Whereas we're in for a, we're in for many many cliffhangers and many twists and turns. And a lot of people, although they're saying, well, really, you could play the four games between Dundalk and Rovers and just call it the league on those. But I do think the unexpected will always happen do you remember as well uh, two years ago we beat or was it last year I can remember we beat Limerick away and then Cork lost to Sligo Rovers and that all happened in 10 minutes yeah and yeah. that's completely swung things yeah I mean Michael Duffy scored for us and then word came true that Cork had lost or were losing and it's those two you know other ends of the country were playing and the, the game, the, the league was completely turned around. Yeah, it, and there, you do get those moments because I, I remember I was just coming back to the country and was checking live score frantically as I was trying to get a GPS. I was actually at an away game that you weren't at. Yeah, you know, yeah there you yeah, go, bragging rights. Out of, out of the country, I forget what for, but out of the country for some reason. Oh, you were at Arsenal with your shopping bags. Oh, I, I don't think so. It's been a while since I was over there. Um, but yeah, it, 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 I think when I checked, when I kind of got onto the plane, Cork were winning and we were not. And by the time we landed, we were winning and they were not. And it all it all conspired. And that was just after we had lost Shamrock Rovers at home, I believe. Yeah. Which was the one which had blown the league open. Yes. And then the league was suddenly reconstructed within yeah. five days. And of course, you know, it can, it can all... It can all twist, even on a like that ten minute spell. You know that sort of turned it in our favor. But if you think to the last minute Pat Hoban winner in the in the game in which Ardijan scored, that also moved us from second to first. And really, in injury time, in a single second, uh, the entire momentum of the in what was probably the most intense atmosphere in Oriel Park that I've ever experienced. The entire thing swung in our favor at that point, and we did. We did Cork, I think, being champions at the time. That was the moment that we wrestled the the entire um, momentum back from them. So yeah, there will be twists, there will be turns, and uh, nobody can really predict. So uh, yes, hence why we're not going to. But I suppose there a lot of people will already have an eye on that uh, fixture at the end of April where ourselves and Rovers meet again. I mean, I think that's the I suppose the benefit of the head-to-heads that with so much psychology kind of working its way into, you know, the building the pressure on people. 
uh, your chance to turn the screw against your opponent like really you know flips the pressure from being on you to being on them um, and yeah that's the the opportunity okay well that's been our review of the month so far um, you can once again contact us on Twitter at DFC fancast if you have any questions queries or things you'd like us to talk about when we get around the table to have another chat in a month's time the next time we do this it might be after that Shamrock Rovers game so we'll have plenty more to say about where the league title might be going um, but for now I've been Kenneth Sloan our contributors have been Rory Murphy and Martin Mullen any closing comments lads Um. No, not really. <laughs> I think I've said way too much. Yeah, I should have wrapped it up there and then, Martin. Well, just thanks very much, lads, for um, agreeing to kind of contribute to the uh, cast. It's been uh, it's been great. It's been fun chatting, and um, we'll do it again in a month's time. If you still want me on in a month's time, I'll be glad to be back. I, I think our legal department is all right. We haven't libeled anybody. Yeah, true, yeah. So, uh, assuming we're allowed to have uh, even private gatherings at that stage. <laughs> exactly. Maybe three people in a room will be too much at this stage. Yeah. Well, we're sure we'll see how it all works out. Uh, okay. Thanks very much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again in another month.